Jonathan. Simon. I have a question for you, actually. And Shoot. I like to I like this thing where we ask about stuff from before. In the in the, in the younger years. Before, in another life. <laughs> um so do you remember there was this it was the only question I would ever ask you before you wanted to introduce me to a new film. Um and I it do was, remember. Do you remember what the question yeah, is? Yeah, okay, what so what is. was the question? Is it scary? No, no. Oh, oh, is there blood in it? No. No. <laughs> okay, so there are several questions I used to ask before <laughs> the movie. Um, what, what was... Come up with some more. I'm sure that there are... I don't... Yeah. I, I, okay, I'm out. Uh, those, right, really? Those are my two. You used to get really annoyed with me about this one, so I'm surprised that you don't remember. But I used to ask you... Probably how, blocked it out. How does the baddie die? You used to ask me, how does the baddie die? Yeah, all the remember. time. In every movie. I remember us watching... I remember you showing me the box for Richie Rich. And you pointing out, like, who all the characters are. And you're like, and this is the bad guy. And I'm like, and how does the baddie die? And you're like, why does that matter? Right? You're, like, annoyed with me. Um, and I've been oh, very... Oh, you of... used to ask what happens at the end. Exactly. I've, I was always obsessed with, with what happens at the end. And, you know, how everything is resolved. Um, and, you know, I, I think that I have, a, a, I still have, there's a part of me that still goes, was that a satisfactory comeuppance or end for the villain or, you know, if there is a right. villain or, or a villainous character. So I was going to ask you sort of what, in your opinion, makes a good villain death slash comeuppance. And I want to, I do want to distinguish between those two things because, you know, a villain may not die, but they may get what's coming to them. So... You can talk about those two things. Go. Okay. Well, um, I it depends what kind of film you're talking about. Obviously, um, obviously, the more uh, grandiose the film, like say a Bond movie, um, the more grandiose the death needs to be. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that's that's usually what's so much fun about watching a Bond movie is like f- trying to guess how the baddie's gonna die and then going, well, that's just preposterous, isn't it? I mean, you remember Kananga? You <laughs> know. <laughs> 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 no, that's the man with the golden gun. No, but what is the, the flip? With no, the, but yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the what is the it? Slide the slide whistle. whistle. Yeah, but I no, but no, Kanagi, he, he Kanaga, blows up and he explodes. That's yeah, yeah. Me. If, any, if anybody doesn't know, um, at the end of Live and Let Die, the baddie, um, uh, Doctor Kananga, played by Yafit Koto, um, chokes on a compressed gas pellet that has been placed in his mouth by James Bond, and um, blows up like a balloon. <laughs> And then bursts. And then bursts. It's quite hilarious. There's no blood. Which there's, is also there's no blood. There's no blood. Um, um, interesting. But, yeah, I mean, I, okay, the, the guy in, um, in Long Kiss Goodnight, mm-hmm. so he falls from quite a height, and then, uh, and then he falls onto a tanker that's, that blows up. Okay, that's good. Um, that's a good death. Um, and obviously, you know, Alec Trevelyan in Goldeneye. So, yeah, I mean, grandiose deaths for, uh, for sort of um, big action blockbuster fantasy style movies um but then you have the the sort of the the more gritty kind of uh sort of comeuppance where you think you know like somebody like uh, Tommy DeVito in um in uh, uh Goodfellas played by Joe Pesci um he just gets shot in the head yeah. it's not like a you know but but all of that stuff that's built up all of that crap that he's done throughout the entire movie and he gets uh, and he gets whacked um you know it's a it's a comeuppance it's a, You're it's going satisfying to whack me <laughs> yes um so are there any villain deaths that disturb you like what villain death keeps you up at night 
or what did. Because for me, well, while you're thinking about it, for me, like Raiders of the Lost Ark and the Melting Faces, um, also in Last Crusade, the Melting Skeleton. It was less gruesome, but still Mm. pretty scary. Um, And I'm I'm asking you to kind of reach back to when you were a kid, right? I mean, there was... I don't know. I I don't think that that necessarily... It's it's a funny thing because uh, context. Mm. Because the villain death... Is normally the uh, the sort of um, the the sort of way to realize equilibrium by the end of the film. Um, so uh, so it's kind of cathartic in a way. Like you've been you've been watching this person do dastardly deeds for the entire runtime. Dastardly deeds. Dastardly yes, that's deeds. what I said. Okay. I'm thinking about uh, Max von Sydow uh, twirling his mustache and going. What should I play with today? And uh, yeah, so he's (laughs) so so. I mean, I I don't think any of that stuff really scared me. It was more like if you take Temple of Doom, so the uh, the midpoint of Temple of Doom where the heroes are in danger. Yeah, um, that's what that's more disturbing. That would that would disturb me more. And then the the death of the villain would be like a sort of comeuppance, and you'd be like, you know, punching the air. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Um, but as a kid, that stuff never scared me. I mean, the the melting faces I I used to think was cool. (laughs) It was cool. It was just that. I think about um, uh, well, a lot of things used to scare me, as we've we've uh, you know established. Um, but today's movie, uh, the villain death, is even by the heroes. They're looking. He's looking at it like it's quite disturbing, and we're going right. to see that when we watch it. And today's film is Jonathan. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Thank you very much. Do, 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 do. So when I was a kid, um, there was a lot of fear around this film. Um, not necessarily around the villain death, but uh, but the villain himself. I remember I had a um, one of those Disney book and tape things. Yeah, and they I remember had it. Twenty four pages, glossy, and uh, and they had a tape that goes with it, and you could hear the chimes ring like this, and you would know it was time to turn the page. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I, the, obviously it wasn't the, I mean, not obviously, cause nowadays you have games where the actors from the film come and reprise their roles and et cetera, et cetera. But in those days, the actors never reprise their roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't use excerpts from the, uh, from the film or anything like that. So you used to re-record the dialogue. And, um, and for some reason I was shit scared of Judge Doom in that, uh, in that book and tape. Um, More than Christopher Lloyd? Yeah, I think so. I mean, mm-hmm. Christopher Lloyd was scary. Yeah. I mean, it was the images of Christopher Lloyd in the book, and it was the sound of the yeah. uh, of the person reading it. Um, Do you know, I don't remember that, uh, what he sounds like. I always think about that when we watch the movie, that yeah. the tape used to scare you, but I can't remember it. It was the tape and the book. It was the combination thereof. And there was also, um, there, there were a lot of things. It was things that like my, our parents used to have to put in the cupboard and hide <laughs> because I would know that it was there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I remember there was also a, a book, uh, Alan Alberg's Happy Families. There was a book with, uh, Mrs. Hay, the horse, Mr. and Mrs. Hay, the horse. Yeah. And, um, and there was a, uh, there was a character in there that was sort of like lit from underneath. Yeah. The it's like headmaster. The, yeah. It was that kind of thing where, you know, if you shine a torch under your chin, you got that. <laughs> it's so funny. Shosh doesn't like me reading that <laughs> book. To, to my kid so she asked me to give it back to the parents oh my goodness i i was shit scared of that and i don't quite know what i mean i've looked at it now and it just looks like a you know it's a character yeah. who's like you know nostrils are flared and everything but like uh you know 
Um, but yeah, I was I was scared of that, and and there were there were probably quite a few other things. I had a lot of things that I had to oh, ask there was the, to put in the there cupboard. There was the troll from, uh, from, uh, from the, the Billy Goats yeah. Billy Goats Gruff. Uh, our sister, um, both our sisters at one point actually um, pasted like a sort of a happy drawing <laughs> over the top of the uh, of the drawing of the of the right. troll. Um, I remember. I remember I knew that it was when there. I don't know why that worked, but I knew it was there. W- so. When I read that book later on, uh, it had been ripped off. So the troll was there, but also most of the color had been ripped off it as well. <laughs> so right. it's like, why is this white? So, you know, when you told me that years later, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. But I was, I was also a little scaredy cat. Yeah, but um, so I mean, listen. But then I, I mean, paid it forward. Obviously, our mother had to hide a lot of things. And like, I remember I borrowed um, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde uh, from the. Um, this is a common thing, isn't it? It's a recurring it's a uh, common fear. Thing. You have a thing about Mr. Hyde. Well, I'm for, for, in my adulthood, I'm actually really fascinated with the story. Yeah, uh, it still the, scares me. Yeah, like, I'm course. fascinated with it. It's the duality it. of man. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, the know. duality of identity. But yeah. like the... the the we, we don't have soda right now because it's, uh, it's morning. This is the first time we've really done it in the morning, so... Coffee. It doesn't have the same ring. When we finish the movie the and we come sit yeah. down again, we're going to have to bring soda. there will be soda yeah okay. sorry go on uh no so i remember that i brought this home from the school library and uh you know i read like a few pages of it and i said to her, um i said to her, can you put this under your bed or something and she's like i'll put it in my drawer so i kept it there i was like in my mind it's like it can get me yeah that's what right. it was it was always like i that. had that with tapes me. as well like when you put like a, a vcr in and uh, a tape in the VCR. What is wrong with me? And, you know, you, you'd re... How long do you have? Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> therapists baffled. Um, so if... We've got a new segment called Therapist Corner. <laughs> <laughs> Therapist Dungeon. <laughs> um, so when you... Um, uh, when you rewind it, it's like, oh, but he's alive at the beginning. He's still in the tape, you know. Yeah, and the, and I had that uh, that sort of that blockbuster thing where I had to be kind and rewind. Yeah, being kind to my future self, but yeah. Anyway, absolute terror. I'm really excited about today's film. Um, I just love it. I love it so much. Yeah. Um, and I'm really excited to look at it through the lenses of this podcast. So, do you want to run the intro? I I, I do want to run the intro. You keep talking, and I'll run over you. One, two, three, Happy four. Day. What's our seat number? Hello and welcome to What's Our Seat Number, the show that endeavours to answer the world's burning questions. On the docket this evening, that's right, your question and mine. Have you checked them walla walla? Kokomong? I hear Kokomong's very nice this time of year. I'm Simon Gross, a 3D cadaver collector with thoughts of expanding into the field of fly fishing and taxidermy. With me and most definitely not touching himself under the table, my brother, the incompatible Johnny Gross, a filmmaker, the butcher, the baker and original rump shaker. (laughs) Was that all right for you? Yeah, yeah, that was all right for me. Next, <laughs> what's the next bit? I don't know. I think I've thrown you off a little bit. Do you want to do context? I think you have uh, context. Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> was it? What was it? Was it the not touching yourself under the table? <laughs> you don't like it when I lie. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay. Um, well, uh, we have a new segment, um, which is going to be in place of the um, uh, the comments section. Mm. Uh, if nobody writes anything, then I have nothing to fucking say. You. Bastards. Indeed. So this is the weekly roundup, and it's called Is It Newsworthy? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, just I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> this is new to me. I've, I've got a book. <laughs> I've gone rogue. Okay. Uh, these are things that I read this week on the intranets um, that someone felt the need to write an article about, and we have to decide: is it newsworthy? Okay. Okay, so apparently... Wait, do I get to decide or we decide together? Well, I don't know. I'm, right, just, I'm just reading bullshit right. and then, uh, you know. Uh, okay, so um, do you know who Miriam Margulies is? Yes. She is the star of... Uh, well, the star. The um, bit part player of Harry Potter, <laughs> End of Days, and other things that I, I don't care to research right now. Okay. Um, so I was scrolling through Facebook and I found an article that I, I can't remember what the website is but um it might have been the sun or the star or something that i keep getting like some shite you never heard of yeah i keep getting like suggested and apparently uh in the um ad break of this morning the show uh, presented by philip Schofield and holly willoughby um she farted oh and uh when they came back from uh, from the ad break uh philip Schofield and holly willoughby were laughing okay <laughs> and they found because it hilarious she farted is this newsworthy? Um, she seemed awfully pleased with herself. I like to think so. Okay, then. Um, in other news, Nelson Mandela, Denise Richards, Busby Barkley, Kim Kardashian, John Lennon, Gary Lineker, Judy Garland, Idi Amin, Wilson the Volleyball, Rick and Morty, Dwayne Johnson, Jackson Pollock, Jerry Seinfeld the, the Queen, fuck? Bigfoot, Vigo the Carpathian, and Aslan himself have all recently done interviews declaring that they're not, repeat not, appearing in Spider-Man No Way Home. Are you excited about Spider-Man No Way Home? I mean, I am, but I'm not... <laughs> wow. But first of all, you are just my favourite fucking person in the universe. <laughs> Um, secondly, um, the, the, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited about the movie. I'm not excited about the, the crap that's got, I hate this, the, the whole thing, like, it's like, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, so they're like, he's not Khan, and it's like, he's so obviously massively yeah. Khan, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. in the movie, it's like, I'm Khan, and it's like, oh, you, we got you, no, you, just fucking, if, if you've got caught, right, you're in the movie, and they say, are you in the movie? Just say you're in the movie. Yeah, they're not allowed to, though. That's okay, what's hilarious. But I don't understand why they bother keeping that sort of thing a secret if there's no possible way for them to do so. I'll tell you what's bothering me. It's not about the um, the possibility of all of these people appearing in, uh, in Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, it's more about the fact that Spider-Man is no longer the star of his own movie. Yeah. Um, Homecoming, he was mostly the star mm. and Iron Man uh, slash Tony Stark was like a sort of mental figure for him mm. um, but uh, but I mean the, the thing about the MCU I love the MCU especially like uh, the first run up until uh, up until Far From Home um, it's just brilliant mm -hmm. you know and far from home is a nice little palate cleanser and everything yeah um but uh but i'm starting to get like a fatigue of the i crossover. was just gonna say i have mcu fatigue at the it's, moment it's not about mcu fatigue it's also dc fatigue it's all of the crossover stuff i just want movies like shazam or or wonder woman or whatever it is that are not wonder woman 84 god no um that are just focused on the main character Okay, it can be an ensemble piece within the universe of the movie, but like, you know, if you have Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and all of these yeah. other, you know, motherfuckers coming in and out of the movie or whatever, Spider-Man's kind of blending into the background and it's like, well, why is he special? Why why is why are his his powers special? You know, I mean, it's another thing if the uh, if it's a if it's a Justice League movie or an Avengers movie or something like that, and you know that it's an ensemble from the very beginning. But if you're making a Spider-Man movie, he should be the central figure, and he should be uh, the only one who can solve the crisis at hand. I mean, he usually is the only one who can solve the crisis at hand. Um, 
you know, it's, it's the the issue that I'm having is the is sort of like the CG spectacle fatigue. Like I'm I'm that looking well. for those that more well. homecoming like smaller affairs. Right. You know, there is CG in it, but it's CG that's needed because Spider-Man can do things that real people can't right. do. Right. I I feel like we digress from from, oh, from the you point, want, but okay. the, the answer is yes. I'm excited, but I'm really tired of all the the shit that's going on around it. Okay, um, this may have been a piece of news that um, that has been common knowledge for a while, but I didn't know it. Uh, Robert Zemeckis is directing the Disney live action adaptation of Pinocchio. Oh, I didn't know that. What do you think of that? Uh, well, I mean, we know how I feel about uh, the director and director in question. Um, yeah. I feel that there's no need for any of these remakes. I'm there is no need for any of these remakes. And, and, and like, you know, John Favreau also is, is an amazing director and a fantastic improvisational comedic actor. Yeah. Um, but um, but the Lion King was just pointless. Uh, after a while, it just becomes like sort of you know fest. Gus Van Sant Psycho. It's a you know shot for shot remake that's really not necessary. And a CG ne- fest, necessary. which is just un- unnecessary. Not necessary. Um, unnecessary. <laughs> unnecessary. Um, yeah. So uh, I love Robert Zemeckis. I he is at least for a, for a um, a period, a specific period, one of my favorite directors out there. Um, up until, you know, he started dabbling in the Uncanny Valley um, arena of, uh, you know, I, I look, I would have loved to have seen, I, okay, the best of the three movies that he made that are mocap. Mm. Uh, you've got Beowulf, Polar Express, and uh, Christmas Carol. Um, I, I don't like the, fir- the first two, but I love A Christmas Carol. I like A Christmas Carol. What well. would have been fantastic is if that had been live action and Jim Carrey had been piled under a shit ton of makeup. I would have loved it. I yeah. think that um, that it's just really unnecessary. And, and Zemeckis, you can see it in the beginning of his career as well, that he's got this tendency to uh, to sort of go towards the uh, the effects side of things. Yeah. Um, but in the uh, in the first half of his career, in the first couple of decades, he really managed to um, to combine the two to be able to tell a compelling story with uh, with interesting characters while at the same time creating these. Uh, these huge spectacles and these unprecedented like first timers um, and, uh, and sort of like reinventing the wheel in terms of effects, um, but not letting that, uh, that side of it slide. And in terms of like the, the movies that I've seen of his recently, aside from flight, which was actually pretty good. Um, you know, the witches I thought was a very pointless remake and um, and I'm worried that Pinocchio is going to be the same thing Yeah, because I mean, I, I'm going to watch it because I mean, aside from the fact that it's Disney, aside from the fact that it's Pinocchio, and I got a history of that movie as well, and we'll get to that one day when we talk about Disney movies. Um, but uh, but I'll watch anything that Zemeckis makes, and I will probably be disappointed. Apropos Zemeckis and and his obsession with leaning on the CGI, I, I do feel on the VFX. I do feel that this movie that we're going to watch today is a perfect example it's of those inextricable. two. It's perfectly it's balanced inextricable. and yeah. necessary, and and well done. And there's not like. Anything right. in it that makes me go, Bleh. yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I, I, I feel, I feel that all of the Disney remakes are completely unnecessary. I didn't enjoy a single one of them. Um, I know that that's like not nice. Um, but like, yeah. I mean, look, I appreciate the hard work that I goes quite into creating. I mean, I enjoyed it in the sense of, okay, that wasn't as shit as I thought it was going to be. Right, that, um, but that's that's the issue, isn't it? Um, but, like, I don't think that it's a necessary remake. I didn't need it. And I think that Will Smith, while he did a good job and, you know, whatever, it's just... It, 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 we already have a genie who was perfect and, you know, Robin Williams. And we don't need 
we don't need it again. And we, I don't understand the the fascination that studios have with it, apart from money grabbing. I just don't. It under- is money grabbing. That's I just, I, I think it's so pointless because you could create these new Disney movies. We're waiting for new Disney movies to come out. They could be spending their money making, you know, more two D animated features like Princess and the Frog, which Can personally I, just say, I like. Princess and the Frog is incredible. Yeah, I love that movie, and I think there's a market for it. I don't think that everything needs to be three um, D. I, I really don't think everything needs to be 3D. In fact, I'm I'm getting 3D fatigue from yeah. from the Disney movies. Like they they announced a new one. I can't even remember what it's called. I think the last one I actually enjoyed was Coco. Yeah. Um, but after that, I've just like lost track of them. I don't really enjoy them anymore. I, I, I the lines of blood for me. What's uh, Pixar and what's yeah. Disney? Um, but but uh, I like Moana. Uh, I like Moana as well. Yeah. I just and and apparently Raya the uh, the last dragon the last dragon. I don't. I don't remember. Yeah, um, as I said, they all blur for me. Yeah, apparently that's pretty good. But like, I'd I'd really love to see some more traditional two uh, D animated because it's not it's not something that needs to be sort of chucked out and and switched, mm-hmm. you know, for for CG. And that's another thing I wanted to talk to you about a little bit later when we talk about the uh, the sort of the the sequel ideas for Roger Rabbit is they wanted to do it with uh, with CG characters yeah. and I I'm just dead set against it. I yeah, think it's I, really pointless. I think that first of all nobody could have um, done this the way that. Richard Williams did it and we'll talk about who that right. is and you know I, I really want to get into it but like I, I think that the 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 feeling at the moment that I have and I'm a, I'm a 3D artist right like right. that's my uh, as much as we there's we, a difference we give between me a what new, you create and what you want to watch yeah it's two different things we give me a new uh, uh title every week I'm a 3D artist right. and I love 3D and I love creating 3D and if I could make 2D animations then I would um you know but it's it's like it's just i feel like it's it's a shame that it's so expensive which i with digital mediums now and and creating things on like you know give give all your animators a cintiq and have them draw it frame by frame i'm sure that it's you know i'm sure that the costs are something that i don't understand but audiences i'm sure want to see it cg and 3d are no longer a new medium that everybody's going oh right. about like you know we can go back we can have both there right. should be both there's room for both and i want both yeah um anyway yeah oh one final little bit of news this is nothing to do with uh with anything i saw on the intranets mm. um but uh last week i binged watch midnight mass and i just wanted to say that was your recommendation yeah. i would have gotten to it eventually but you're the one who spurred me to like watch it now yeah i was nagging and it was you. absolutely awesome yeah and i i had an experience i feel yeah but yeah i just wanted to say thank you for that um, I would have watched it anyway because obviously Mike Flanagan um, but if you're a Stephen King fan um, it is the Stephen King book that he never wrote yeah. it is um, so accurate yeah. in terms of that experience he's basically anything that's uh, that's Stephen King the only two people in the world that should ever be given the reins to adapt something like that are Mike Flanagan and Frank Darabont yeah. and, um, and I think that, uh, he, he, that both of them have a way of taking the source material not only like being faithful to it and honoring it, but making it better. I told I told you a few weeks ago that um, if Mike Flanagan could just make a TV show every year or every half a year, that's a horror show. I'll wa- I'll watch it. That that pay for my Netflix. I really uh, would. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, moving on. So the next part um, is the tagline game. Yes. 
Okay, so I'm feeling uh, good about this one. You're feeling good about this one? So it, we're going to have to do something a little bit differently this week. Why? Um, because the actual tagline is very obviously Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I see. So what I've done is I've made up some taglines. Oh, um, so have I. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I, we, we'll, we'll, you, you tell you me. You go first. Yeah, no, so I will, I will give you the, uh, the taglines that I've made. So there are three made-up taglines and one real tagline. Uh-huh. And you tell me which one's the real one. <laughs> okay. First one is drawn to be wild. Okay. Eddie Valiant is about to have a very hard day. Okay. It's the story of a man, a woman, and a rabbit in a triangle of trouble. Okay. And the wacky tale of a man and his rabbit. Wacky tale of a man and his rabbit. That sounds sus. Uh, All right. Here are mine. Here are mine. Okay. Ready? (laughs) Murder is such a bad rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Rabbit habit? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, cartoon action is prevalent in this feature. Seriously? Pre- prevalent? How, did, were you high when you came up with that? No, I wasn't. <laughs> Not this time, but 5 a.m. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And 5 a.m. is a natural high. Elizabeth is the last one. You're going to like this one. And the note that I've left under it. Someone's getting rogered. <laughs> Under that, written just because I realized it rhymed, and I was thinking I was going to do something with it, but then I didn't. Um, Todger, just written that underneath it. Very good, Danning. Yeah. Uh, okay, can you, can you give me yours again? I'll try and get okay. it. Drawn I know to... which one it is. It's, it's obvious. They're Drawn gone. to be... It's, it's obvious. Are mine really that bad? No, they're not bad. Just, just... Drawn to be wild. Mm-hmm. Eddie Valiant is about to have a very hard day. It's the story of a man, a woman, and a rabbit in a triangle of trouble. And the wacky tale of a man and his rabbit. I think it's one of the latter two. Because um, you gave it away because you said it's like really, really obvious. And I think oh, that so it's, it's the, my fault. I now. think it's the... Well, I'm still getting the point if I'm right, though. Yeah, okay. 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 Um, so the, the man, a triangle of trouble one. I think that's the... You are... Correct. Yes! Well ah! done. That's two for two. <laughs> two for two. Um, I might not have gotten it if you hadn't said that. It doesn't matter. <laughs> what do, not, what do I get? You're not getting a prize anyway. You're no. getting, you're getting, I told you, you're getting a cuddle and you refused it last it's week. Like, so, uh, yeah, there you um, go. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so would you like to uh, have a little chat about context before we go off and watch the movie? Absolutely, let's do it. Okay. Um, I remember seeing this movie in 1988 and subtitle old, old. Yeah. So I was little, I'm only little. Um, I was, I was little and, uh, they didn't tell me where we were going. So this is the thing about this movie. This movie is marketed hard towards kids. It is a Disney movie with wacky, funny, cute characters, etc., etc. Looney Tunes, Looney style. Tunes. You know, on the uh, on the cover, you've got uh, you know you've got Roger kissing Eddie Valley, and you know all, all kinds of things like that. Um, you know, the the taxi scene with Benny on the on the uh, on the Blu-ray cover, um, and it's really dark and adult. Yeah, um, this is not for kids. It earns that PG rating. My God. Yeah. Um and the only other movie I can think of that from around that time that uh, that did the same thing was Cool World. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't watch that again if you paid me. Michael Samoji, 
Leave me alone. I'm not watching Cool World. There is a line and you just crossed it. Um, so, so yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's really quite adult. But anyway, I digress. So we went to see the movie. They surprised me. And uh, I was really excited, bouncing up and down like Roger himself. And uh, we went in and they bought me a box of fruit gums. Do you remember fruit gums? No. Um, so fruit gums are like these little, uh, little hard jellies kind of thing. Um, different, uh, different fruit flavors and whatever. Um, and, uh, the, I used to love them. So, uh, so in, the, but in the cinema, you used to get a box of them and they were like, you know, in the, in the tube, uh, that you get in the, in the, uh, news agents, they were like little round, um, sweets. And in the uh, in the in the cinema, they were big and like shaped like uh, like the fruits. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really special. Oh, I do remember these. Yeah. Um, so yes, yes, I do. Remember I was this. sitting next to our sister, the younger of the two, mm. and I just distinctly remember um, not liking a certain flavor of fruit gum, taking it out of my mouth and putting it on her leg. Why would you do and that? I think you she was wearing. Asshole. I think she was wearing tights. Johnny. <laughs> So that's my memory of watching uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit in the cinema. <laughs> uh, look, I used to, I actually, I was much younger than her and I used to, I'm still much younger than her. What is it, five years? Five years. Um, and I used to bully her quite yeah. a lot. I mean, both of them actually. I remember I had these like, this rubber spider. Really? You were bullying people in the house that lived with you? This is news to me. I don't know. I mean, there may be, uh, there may be reasons for this. I don't want to delve into it in, um, right. in therapy. There was corner. nothing, nothing that I could have possibly done to you though. You I existed. were a victim of circumstance. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Hmm, this thing can't fight back. I won't. So I had this rubber spider and also I had a rubber rat. A rat and yeah. I um <laughs> I remember I remember one morning one morning I put uh, I put the spider on her pillow. <laughs> and I went back to my room and about 5 minutes later I heard this thud on my door <laughs> and I opened the door to see the spider <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> So, so there you go. The incident in the cinema was not isolated. Um, yeah. Do you remember anything about the movie? Yes, sorry. <laughs> I digress. Oh, digress. Digress. I digress, Grand Prix. Oh. Um, so, yeah, I remember they, our parents brought home a pirated copy of the, of the movie. Do you want to get sued? Sued. Well, it was on VHS. I'm not sure. That, I mean, there's a statute of limitations on this kind of thing. Sure, 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 sure. sure. Um, so they brought home a, a pirated copy. And the uh, next the- time we go and visit the parents, we're going to see them being taken away in a van <laughs> <laughs> with a warrant. <laughs> this is a pirated copy of a film. Um, so, yeah. So I remember that. And it had a, a horrible hiss. Um and I used to watch it. I can't hear it over and over again. <laughs> Drain spotted them talks in Scotch, ain't they? <laughs> Should we take a minute? Because I feel no. like we're just derailing each other. It's okay. I, I, I'm all right with it. I'm all right with it, and I think the I'm, listeners I'm are probably. Have a, I'm having it. a hard time breathing already. Oh my goodness! It's the it's the infamous uh, Avengers incident of the context. <laughs> of we haven't finished November. context. Um, yeah, we haven't finished context, but Sorry, anyway, that's, that's my on. context. I had the book on tape, which I mentioned before, and I had a big, uh, hardback, uh, storybook, mm-hmm. which had these big, beautiful pictures in it and, and everything. And, oh, I also had a, a Roger Rabbit bendy toy. 
that you could like position its arms and ears um, in whatever pose you wanted. And I had a, a stuffed Roger Rabbit, and I think that's it. I was I was pretty I was pretty obsessed with it, even though I was shit scared, scared of, of Judge it. Doom. Yeah, I don't remember being particularly scared of anything apart from Judge Doom at the end. Right, right. Um, I mean, the dip thing, kind of uh, like when he puts the the shoe, the in, shoe the in the dip. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that it's was also like kind of squeaking and everything. I it's guess quite... I didn't really um, register how disturbing it was until I was a little older. Right. But the the um, but it's really adult. The whole movie. The is whole really movie adult. is very adult, and and I I actually well, adult. <laughs> Sorry. Words. Words. No, like, um, like a weird emphasis. Are we British? Are we American? I don't know. Adults. Do you? Um, I, I remember the movie really, really well. Um, I remember loving it. Watching it over and over again. I love the animation in it. Yeah. Um, and it used to make me laugh. Um, yeah. And it used to freak me out. And I thought that it was like one of those things that, you know, should have scared me more than it did. Right. Uh, but I have never watched it and not enjoyed it. Like, there's never been a time when I'm not in the mood to watch this movie. Right. Um, and there are a few movies like that for me. But um, I just, from a technical standpoint, I notice something new in... Because, uh, well, I, I really want to talk about it uh, once we watch the movie. But the performance that the animators give to the um, char- the animated characters, like Roger Rabbit... Um, he has moments which I'll I'll delve into, right? Uh, and I'll point them out. Um, but you know, there are moments that are very sort of specifically calculated as beats that a real living, breathing character would do. Right. And it gives it life, and it's 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 something you see animators do a lot, but it's mixed with live action, so you've got the reference right for what an, an alive thing looks like next to this. So. They still manage to give it that cartoon quality, but make it feel like it's living in this world. And that's a, that is a, sorry, that is a, um, uh, an achievement. And I, I enjoy it for that reason. Cause I always pick up on something new each time. Right. Um, so yeah, that's my, my context. I think, uh, to counter that Bob Hoskins performance oh. is absolute genius. And I mean, also Christopher Lloyd's performance. Cause you've got to, you've got to take into account that he is, a walking cartoon himself yeah and he's just he's just brilliant but he's Bob amazing Hoskins, he was uh, he was cast on the uh, on the strength of mona lisa i think which yeah. is completely Not. you know a completely different movie and um you know and we'll we'll get into the uh um we'll get into the casting of eddie valent a little bit later but um uh he's 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 absolutely brilliant in this movie and i and i also saw like uh, a couple of uh, a couple of bits and pieces where um you're talking about how they give the the uh the characters little flourishes etc cetera, etc cetera, mm. but they also um correct eyelines yeah with using very clever little techniques practical yeah. props yeah you know like it? roger standing on his tiptoes yeah. against the wall um you know very 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 cool stuff um i i just uh, I, I just think that there are First of all, there are a couple of criticisms that I remember um, from uh, from the last time I watched the movie, which is when I got it on Blu-ray maybe a few years ago, um, was that I remember thinking that the plot is very convoluted for what it is, um, mm. but that obviously harks back to the uh, to the inspiration of the the sort of hard-boiled detective novel, the Philip yeah. Marlowe kind of thing, um, and uh, you know, so so I mean, there is a precedent for that. I um, found it too convoluted. And I have, I don't know if you've done any of the delving that I did into this specific part of the movie, but I have some extra story for you that isn't in the movie. Ah, okay. 
All right. Um, but also, um, I, I remember thinking like, uh, the, yeah, there are some adult bits, but, uh, there's one thing that always bothered me when I was a kid and that is the death of RK Maroon. Mm. Um, that it, I mean the, the, first of all, he, he gets like two bullet, two or three bullet holes punched in his back. Yeah. Um, and, uh, there's no blood, but, uh, but you know, you can see the fabric like tearing up, etc. Um, his scream, his like, uh, uh, like yeah. always like haunted Very me. Disturbing. And, um, and I mean, it's like, it's gun violence in a, uh, in a movie that, um, I mean, obviously Touchstone, uh, is, is supposed to be the more adult wing of Disney. Um, but, uh, but it is like marketed quite a lot towards kids. And I did watch this a lot as a kid. Um, and there are a bunch of things in here that are, that are really adult, um, that I'd like to delve into once we watch the movie. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I just have one more thing that oh, I want okay. to say before we watch the movie is I think that maybe now's a good time just before we go into watching the movie and we, we play the jingle, um, that we sort of, um, pay dividends to, uh, this week's sponsor. Oh, okay. Um, so... <clears throat> What's Our Seat Number is sponsored by Icky Sticky Stuff, the inexplicable layer of sticky stuff found on the floor of every cinema across the globe. For your involuntary shuddering needs, choose Icky Sticky Stuff. (laughs) Very good. You're welcome. Did you come up with that by yourself? Five o'clock in the morning. (laughs) I've got a few of these. You see, I'm I'm just walking around uh, with with our baby... (laughs) crying and going oh my god i just want to sleep you're actually making use of the time <laughs> no this is in between me trying to stop him from killing himself right <laughs> should we watch the film let's go watch the film right. roll it I just, I just want to talk about this now um, because this is, this is disturbing me. Um, when a Blu-ray goes bad um, and starts to pixelate like that, for the last half hour of the movie, the entire last act of the movie is buggered. And I looked at the Blu-ray and there is nothing on it. No fingerprints, no scratches. The damn thing is pristine. Cannot for the life of me work out what the hell went on there. Um, so yeah, that, that was very annoying. Yeah. But, um, aside from that, I, I loved the movie and that was a lot of fun. <laughs> How long is that going to be up your bum? <laughs> uh, until I managed to find a replacement. Oh, soda. Ooh. Soda. Until I managed to, uh, get myself a replacement copy. Um, that's my, that's my griping over, but that's just technical shit. Um, now happy so, stuff. Happy stuff. Would you like to talk about the actual movie? Yes. Uh, I love this film. I annoyed, I annoyed you, I think a little bit while we were watching it because I kept on going no, no, oh it's so all. good how they do it not at all not at all um, it's just um, it's from the minute that opening uh, jazz theme comes in I, it, like you immediately get into the into the mood of the of the movie and the setting and all that which is great um, the opening cartoon is it's so well animated you know um, just I mean we can we can talk about you know just like the the movie and the you know the way that it's uh, it's structured and all that but most of what i have to say is uh for the attic 
um, it's very, very animation heavy, what right. I have to say about it. And, you know, it's just, I love watching this film. I'm always noticing, I always notice something different. It's Right, uh, I noticed quite a few things as well. <laughs> yeah, um, you pointed something out right at the end there that I... <laughs> liked i have i have a few things i have i have well i, have I mean in the final scene there first of all it's uh it should be noted that um this is the first and i think only movie where disney characters and warner brothers characters come together mm-hmm. um and uh and i don't think that was that was cheap <laughs> huh, i wonder who he really was <laughs> And um, yeah, and I, I think that there was a lot of uh, haggling that Spielberg had, had to do with uh, with both Disney and Warner Brothers in yeah. order to get them to agree. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things going on in that final scene, mm-hmm. and um, I just noticed and I pointed out to you that um, the cows that are hanging around the studio at the beginning of the movie, running lines, as it were, and eating the pages of the script. The cows are in the final (laughs) sequence, and they're still holding the pages of the script, which I find quite amusing. Um, And I also noticed the the gorilla there. (laughs) Oh, is he in the final scene as well? Yeah, the gorilla's hanging out, yeah. You know, I noticed Bugs Bunny in that opening scene at the studio uh, in the background. Oh, really? Where? Um, It's like right after, I think, uh, right before he's about to get on the tram. Uh, you see, just as he's sort of leaving the, that sort of oh. studio area, uh, you see Bugs Bunny walking by and then oh, immediately walk away. Um, right before you see a clown character as well, which I'm not quite sure about. Interesting that they used... Uh, there's a lot of colorful characters, but there's also black and white characters, not just Betty Boop. Um, right. But like, you know, black and white characters who appear in black and white. Wait, it's just... It's the whole I'm drawn that way thing. Right. It's just, uh, it's carried on throughout. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, uh, I, I, there's so much, my brain is running so quickly. <laughs> right. The shit. Can you help me here? Well, I, I wanted to point out other things that, uh, that I noticed. Um, okay. So we had a conversation a while back on uh, my second to last viewing of Last Action Hero, I think. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that I had. F- Suddenly, after like twenty years or twenty-five years or however long of watching this movie, um, that I got a joke, and I started cracking up. And it's at the beginning where Arnold Schwarzenegger um, oh. goes up to one of the cops in the opening <laughs> sequence, and he says, "Hey, you want to be a farmer? Here's a couple of acres." And then he kicks him in the balls. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, I I, and I remember, I was just like, <laughs> "A couple this. of acres! I just got that." So, um, so in this movie, there was a, there's a moment where um, where Benny the cab mm. has extended his wheels, <laughs> yeah. so that he's like so that he's he, he's gone over the uh, the other cars in order to escape, and they're they're hurtling towards a bridge, and um, and Benny goes, "Hey Roger, what do you call the middle of a swung?" And then, yeah, uh, I don't know. And then he goes, "Yeah, I don't know." And then they start screaming, and then they like, uh, then they go on, the on to, and they land on the bridge. And then I just realized, like, the middle of a song is a bridge. <laughs> yeah, I also I didn't pick up on that. You were like, "It's a it's a bridge," and I'm like, "No, I, I know." <laughs> like, no, 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 no. Sight. He had to explain it to me. Um, right. I was actually just saying to um, uh, Philippa the other day because we were talking about um, me not catching stuff. Hi, Philippa. Oh, God. Um. Was I was saying to her that the, uh, you know, I, I, there are sometimes things that other people will pick up on that are very sort of obvious to them, but to me, like it just went by me, and that's one of those things. So it was really interesting that you picked up on that. I didn't, I didn't pick up on it at all. Yeah. Um. I I wanted to say that um I noticed 
uh, first of all, the <laughs> the weasel at the end, the the crazy one. <laughs> he he doesn't just go la 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 la. He goes gonna kill the rabbit, right? <laughs> Which you know. Is... <laughs> um, there's there's a few things. I'm trying to remember. Um, a few of the things that I noticed actually are to do with doom. Yeah, I noticed the um uh, that he's got a fake chin, a fake nose, and fake ears and fake teeth. Um, that, uh, I mean, it's probably something that I subliminally noticed, but because I'm looking at it critically now, I'm, I'm like really paying attention. So, um, so yeah, I noticed that he's got like a really hooked nose and mm-hmm. his movement is very robotic. It's, uh, it's an excellent performance. Like yeah. he's really creepy and I can understand why, um, young me would have been shit scared of him. So before we get to doom, I want to, I want to go not in order of the, the movie, but I just want to go. According to the notes that I've written here, <laughs> but the the first thing that happens in the movie is that um you know that animated segment, um and you were saying to me it just looks so three dimensional. Yeah, um and that's part of Richard Williams and and his team and what they do is to create these very intricate and smooth animations that are always in perspective. He he's crazy. He was crazy talented and was, you know, incredibly um, good at everything to do with perspective. A lot of his um, masterclasses are on the subject of obviously of animation and timing and whatever. But he's a big, uh, he's big on that. Um, and one of the the things that you notice when it immediately transitions to mixing live action and, and animation is Joel Silver, first of all. Yeah. You, you know, you know, Raul. Yeah, Raul is played by big Hollywood producer Joel Silver, yeah. who shaved um, and just left a moustache. And apparently, Michael Eisner. This is actually for Trivia Corner, but uh, but <coughs> anyway, I'll just, no, I'll just go for it. Uh, Michael Eisner, um, the uh, who was the head of Disney at the time, um, had a massive rivalry with uh, with Joel Silver, and he uh, he didn't recognize him, and he said to uh, to Zemeckis. Um, who's playing? Who's playing the director? He's oh. really good. He said it's Joel Silver, and he said like, I hate uh, that guy. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I don't know. I've got it written here in my notes. We'll come back to it. All like, right, uh, later, circle but, back around. But yeah, I mean, I, I I actually think he's he's actually really good in that. What, in that what but, I was yeah. going to say is that not only is he fantastically interacting with the um, with Roger, but also yeah. that his coat uh, interact. Yeah. Like he's put Roger is pulling on his coat, and you know the coat. He he like yanks it away from him, and and that's the first and definitely not final moment in the movie where the real world is interacts act- with the interacting yeah. and and being affected by you know the cartoon characters well i just want to say there's a there's a few um there's a like the <laughs> His um, rant at the beginning, Joel Silver's rant, he says, my stomach can't take this, uh, lose the lights, get him out of there or, or shut him in it or something like that. Yeah. And then he says, and he, and he says, he yells like, uh, and say lunch. And then the guy in the background <laughs> goes, that's lunch. <laughs> <laughs> it's rather funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to just talk uh, before we, because I can see that this um, this entire episode is going to uh, end up um, falling into uh, um, animation basement or uh, VFX attic or whatever it's called nowadays. Um, so, uh, so I wanted to just like talk a little bit about uh, director Robert Zemeckis. He was in between. Uh, Back to the Future and Back to the Future Two, mm-hmm. and they were they were going to start shooting Back to the Future Two and Back to the Future Three back to back, and uh, he's the, he has like a mode of manic. 
Yeah. Basically, he's just, uh, you, you know, like the the it, it, the movie like moves at a relentless pace, and there's no time to breathe, and uh, you know, the it's wall to wall music, and it's like uh, it's crazy. Um, Back to the Future Two is definitely that, mm-hmm. and I can see a lot of parallels between this movie and Back to the Future Two. Yeah, you mentioned with the with the newspapers as well. Though that was Back to the Future One. Oh, it was Back to the Future One. Yeah, but there's a but it's a, it's a nice. I think maybe a, a director's trademark. I'll try and think of what else, uh, any other ways that he's done that. Um, but sort of like gliding look out for it in Pinocchio, <laughs> uh, but like sort of gliding the camera over, um, newspaper clippings and objects and sort of things, uh, things that are in a character's house to, uh, to sort of, um, exposit as it were, exposit, exposit, yeah. like just to, uh, a, a better way of, um, of, uh, of giving exposition to the viewer, uh, as opposed to, uh, talking about it. It's all visual. Yeah. Um, and there's another, there's another instance of that in this movie with, uh, uh, Eddie Valiant's um, desk and it goes around the desk and then when it and it, you see all of the, the the backstory of Eddie and his brother and Dolores etc uh, etc et and the newspaper clippings and then it circles back around it's morning already and I just think that's just brilliant genius uh, um, you know camera move yeah um, but anyway so uh, so yeah Robert Zemeckis um, uh, wrote um, 1941 for Spielberg, which uh, which has a similar kind of cartooniness, right? Um, and and I think that, uh, that this comes at, at a peak in his career um, that he'd just done uh, *Romancing the Stone* and *Back to the Future*, um, and he was about to do *Back to the Future* too. And Roger Rabbit comes at this time where he's only made really a couple of successful movies, and he was not quite blacklisted. But um, but he'd made enough flops like I Want to Hold Your Hand and Used Cars and written 1941 for Spielberg that uh, the, uh, Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale were not entirely uh, in demand. And mm-hmm. Back to the Future was very, very difficult to get made. Um, so if you think about he's made uh, he's made two successful movies by this point, And then you're coming into a into a movie like this, which is incredibly ambitious and um and it's just a, it's really uh quite an achievement that on his uh his you know the the at this point in his career that he was able to make something that was not only revolutionary um in terms of animation in in terms of mixing animation and live action uh but also um but also in terms of the the story and the world building and the the script is so sharp um and uh and the interaction between the uh the toon world and the and the live action world is uh is every single thing is justified and warranted and well thought out and um and and you know so we're talking about these little easter eggs and everything yeah. um but it's all of these tiny little minute details that make up this incredibly rich world that they've created uh it's one of the reasons why i love movies like uh, demolition man and things like that that you know that really take the time to create a, uh, a living breathing world that yeah. nowadays you think of roger rabbit you kind of take it as a as a given that there are tunes and etc cetera, etc cetera. but you know somebody in 1987 or whatever had to come up with that and um you know and uh, gary and wolf rules of this world yeah gary yeah. wolf the uh, the writer of the uh, of the novel that this is based on um but uh but also um you know it's uh, it's for the movie they had to reinvent that obviously and create uh, sort of these real world scenarios for these animated characters and yeah. i just think it's genius i just think it's very well done I agree with you. I think I think that it's 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 very clear that they put so much detail into just the performances as well. Like there's the way that Dolores says to um what's his name? Meatball. <laughs> what's his name? 
Emilio? Yeah. Emilio? No, not Emilio. Whatever, the guy who's, he says, get this straight meatball, right? Um, so he, he says, she says, like, he goes, what's his problem? And she says, uh, Toon killed his brother, dropped a piano on his head. And she looks, like, really, really sad. And, like, there are, they never say at any point in the movie um, how long Dolores and Eddie have been together. Are they married? Are they dating? Like, you know, what is what is their relationship? But it's through the acting and the little pieces that they throw you know, they sprinkle throughout the movie that kind of indicates what their relationship is and where it's at and how long it's been there. Right. And if Angelo. He... Angelo, thank right. you. Uh, Emilio. Um, well, it's close. What's the matter, Emilio? I'm afraid I'll make a stink. <laughs> right, there you go. <laughs> so, that's, that's probably where that came from, yeah. So um, th- there's like that moment where, as you've just, you know, talked about with the uh, newspaper clippings, and also lingers on a picture of, of Eddie and Dolores... And Teddy, his brother, yeah. um, at the uh, on the doorstep of, of their um, their PI offices, um, and they all look very happy. So it looks like two you floozies know, and two flatfoots and a flu and a floozy open yeah. a business. Yeah, and so you've got like this very. By the way, I just want to say I love that like all of that forties um, yeah. speak. Um, and there's a lot of that Holy going on. Smoke. Yeah, there's a lot of no, but there's a lot of that going on in Rocketeer as well. Like yeah. uh, your buddy's being fitted for a pine overcoat. Yeah, you know stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. It's just like such <laughs> such sharp writing. Um, you know the 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 dialogue is just so rich. And yeah. um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, when he arrives in Venice mm. and he's chatting to um, to Alison Doody's character Elsa. Yeah. Um, and they they just have these sort of one liners, these back and forth thing of like. Uh, you know, like, uh, but maybe I won't be here in the morning. Whatever. Like, it's this whole flirting thing. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's very 40s tinge. It's kind of like watching Cary Grant and, uh, and Audrey Hepburn sparring. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, the, and, and this, when, when they do 40s um, set, you know, movies right, you have that, that kind of, um, that wonderfully rich dialogue that, you know, kind of makes you feel like you're watching something like Casablanca. But it's also in how they deliver the lines. Of course, Because as yeah. we've seen with The Phantom, uh, yeah. some of those lines fall a little bit flat. Yeah, also, also I would say that, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt some people here, so I apologize in advance, um, but um, The Mummy... Mm. Is an amazing film. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy it, but it yeah, doesn't have it doesn't capture that. that era. The script is written by Stephen Summers himself, yeah. um, and it's not as sharp as uh, as some of the other sort of um, wartime set movies that uh, that uh, that I'm thinking about when I'm talking about sharp scripts. But yeah. digression. Digression. My point is, yeah, sorry, that, yeah. um, there's a lot of rich sort of that that moment where she looks very sad. It's like she knows. Uh, yeah. She knew Teddy. She was close to him. It makes her sad too, not just for Eddie, but for herself. They've been together for a while. I think there's even a date on the picture frame. So if you thirty-seven, thirty-seven, so that would be in, ten years. Yeah, yeah. They've been together for a while, yeah. and I didn't notice rings on the fingers, but they've just been together for a long time. So it's like, it's those little things that they don't. Have they, have they been together, or have they been on and off? Because like, because uh, it, it seems like they're kind of reconciling throughout the movie. I don't Until know if they they're reconciling. The, I think that, you know, he's, he's drunk fallen and he's into alone. drinking problems. And, yeah. you know, he, she's lending him money and she needs him to pay it back. And she needs he's him to step up. He's also closed himself and, off emotionally. Yeah. I don't know that they've they've been on and off. I, I think that they're just going through a very, very rough patch. Well, they're not together because they're not living together. That's true. Yeah. 
But she's his love interest. She is his, or he's her love interest. Yeah, no, but yeah. I, I feel like I feel like you get to the to the sequence in the movie theater, and they're mm. you know they're they're kind of like coming back together after a long time of not being together. That's yeah. what it feels to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's basically what I'm saying is it's very richly drawn. Um, even though you're you're kind of given scant information about it, it's all suggested. Um, which uh, which is I, I guess the best way to uh, to get things across like this is uh, showing not telling. I think that uh, Bob Hoskins is fantastic. Not just not just in his acting, which is incredible, and I've written that here. But right next to it, I've <laughs> keeps on falling down. Yeah, it it looks to me like he did um, a good percentage of his own stunts. Yeah, um, I can see a stuntman during the taxi scene. Um, in the car chase, mm-hmm. um, which I can understand because uh, because you probably got somebody driving a contraption that's uh, not entirely a vehicle in or order safe. to uh, yeah in order to um, to replace it with uh, with an animated taxi at the end. Yeah. Of it. Um, but he's throwing himself around. He's getting thrown around. He's bumping into things. He's yeah, got things Roger, falling on his head. Roger pulls him across the room to yeah. the window, and and it's like it's this wonderful idea that tunes don't obey the rules of physics as we do right. but if we were dragged along by a tune like they've asked themselves that question like if you were handcuffed to a tune and they zipped across a room you would have to obey the laws of physics as you normally do right and so he's like you know bumping into things and he can't contort his body to go over objects and he just like slams into the wall he's like dragged behind in a, in, in delay like it's it's so well done but then You'll notice as he gets further along in the movie, he starts having tune qualities. Yeah, he gets very tune like, yeah. And not just in the in in Toontown, also afterwards, like in the in the um Merry Go Round broke down section. Yeah. Um where, you know, he's dropping you know, cannonballs on his head and he's flipping over and uh, he goes up on a pogo stick and then he gets electrocuted. You know, like there's a lot of tune stuff going on there and it's, it's a progression of his character. That's like, he goes through a real arc in the movie and it's, I think that a lot of, a lot of them do, but you know, just, it's just really cool that they, they really didn't spoon feed a single thing. No, Um, but I I feel, I feel like um, they, they didn't sacrifice the story just for the for the spectacle yeah because it, it would probably be very easy to do i mean i watched uh space jam with my son uh not long ago and i got that feeling mm. that it's it's very scant um but hey you've got tunes interacting with uh with human beings so feels like the story came first here yeah which is what makes it popular which is which is what makes it uh, endure i think absolutely so you wanted to go to Trivia Corner? Yes, we're going to go to Trivia Corner now, and then we're going to uh, take a visit to VFX Attic. So, okay. um, Trivia Corner. Trivia Corner. Do you want to know how much this movie cost? Yes. This. What if I'd have said no? An estimated production budget of $70 million, and apparently this was the most expensive film produced in the 1980s, and has the longest on-screen credits for a film. Wow. Um, it's... Nothing by today's standards. Mind-boggling that that movie was made in 1988. Mm. Incredible. Like, really. Um, Okay. Bob Hoskins said that for two weeks after seeing the movie, his young son wouldn't talk to him. When finally asked why, his son said he couldn't believe his father would work with cartoon characters such as Bugs Bunny and let him meet them. (laughs) So cute. 
During filming, Charles Fleischer, who uh, played Roger Rabbit, delivered delivered Roger Rabbit's lines off-camera in full Roger costume, including rabbit ears, yellow gloves, and orange coveralls. Mm Mm-hmm. During breaks, I've seen I've seen the footage. It's yeah, really yeah, I've quite seen disturbing. the footage as well. I remember seeing it when I was a kid, and I didn't understand why. why? Uh, during breaks, when he was in costume, other staff at the studios would see him and make comments about the poor caliber of the effects in the rabbit movie. <laughs> uh, more fool they. Mm. Finish yourself off. Indeed. Uh, okay, there were apparently going to be seven weasels. Mm. They cut that down, but they were trying to parody the seven dwarfs. Okay. Um, oh yeah, the uh, the infamous crotch shot. Do you know about this? What crotch that shot? So crotch shot. When um, Eddie and Jessica are thrown from Benny the cab when mm. he gets oh uh, yeah, yeah, dipped. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, apparently there's a myth that you can see um, uh, Jessica Rabbit's crotch mm. that one of the animators uh, painted that in there as a uh, as a sort of subliminal frame. So it says here, what I have written down here, in the original VHS release, when Eddie and Jessica are thrown out of the car, you can see for a few short frames that Jessica was not wearing any underwear. There was nothing to see but flesh-toned paint, but there was a fair amount of talk about it. See, this is, uh, this is the reason why I say this was marketed towards yeah. kids, but there's a lot of like adult stuff going but, on. You know, here. just jumping off that, there's a lot of things in Disney movies that people always say, like, you know, I, they're all Some myths. of that has been debunked. Yeah, it's yeah. bollocks, but there's there's a lot of obsession with the uh, animators putting in boners and Yeah, and the, stuff, uh, the like priest's boner in uh, the end the of The Little, Little Mermaid, Mermaid is actually his foot. Yeah. Um, well, there you go. Um, so in later versions, this was switched to white paint, thereby restoring her underwear. After this, it was changed again with a series of frames replaced with new ones to completely eliminate this. I do not believe... That that is a thing. Okay. Uh, there are there were over forty drafts of the script, including drafts that had either Jessica Rabbit or Baby Herman as the villain. Oh, well, I mean, I can buy the Jessica Rabbit one. Oh, I noticed this when I watched it this time round. Wow. When Valiant first enters his office, he puts his hat on a blackbird statue, an obvious reference to the book and movie The Maltese Falcon. Oh. Um. So I actually. Uh, That's really interesting. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, okay, here's, so this is the other thing I wanted to say about uh, about Robert Zemeckis was that they uh, they were obviously prepping Back to the Future two uh, while they were shooting this, um, and the tunnel that leads to Toontown is the same tunnel that uh, that um, Marty is uh, is hoverboarding away from Biff in <laughs> right. uh, at the end of Back to the Future Brilliant. two. Uh, it's a tunnel that's apparently used a lot in LA for. Uh, oh, for that's why shoots. you were pedaling your foot on the floor. Yeah. I see. Okay. There you go. Oh, this is another thing. Um, Bob Hoskins had to do a lot of his acting in front of a green screen, only visualizing the cartoon characters that were added later. It says here green screen, but yeah, it was a blue screen. In a 1988 interview for Danish television, he said, I had to learn to hallucinate to do it. After doing it for six months for 16 hours a day, I lost control of it and sort of had weasels and rabbits popping out of the wall at me. Hoskins didn't take another job for a year. He had to, because he had to ha- to learn how to hallucinate, he yeah. was hallucinating for a long time after the movie wrapped. No, I understood what you were saying. Just like, yeah. to- uh, whatever. Okay, so this is what uh, Michael Eisner said about, uh, about Joel Silver's cameo. Go on. Um, Silver shaved off his beard, paid his own expenses, and kept his name out of all initial cast sheets. When Eisner was told after the movie was complete who was playing the director, he reportedly shrugged and said he was pretty good. Hmm. Okay, no, I mean... Yes. At least he could uh, say it, even begrudgingly, he could say it. Right. 
Bloody hell! How many pages you got there? I got a few. <laughs> um, there's a lot to there's a lot to get through, but yeah. some of these I'm gonna I'm gonna um, sort of skip over because uh, I don't want to step on VFX at Hig. Um, so uh, sorry. Do you want to do the jingle? No, no, no. You you, you you're good. <laughs> you're good. Um, so right. the photograph that Eddie takes of Marvin Acme, and this is something that I've been wondering about for a long time. Mm. I even noticed it as a kid. Jessica looks different. Yeah, in those photographs, she does. And apparently, this uh, these photographs feature an earlier design of Jessica than the one that is used in the final character animation. The one shot that was redone to incorporate the new Jessica design was the insert shot of the picture after it is first developed. Mm. Um, and we also we mentioned this in the pre-bit. Uh, ideas for a sequel a sequel were tossed around, but none materialized for many years. J.J. Abrams was working on a story in 1989 the behest of producer Steven Spielberg, but his treatment was abandoned and Spielberg eventually lost interest in the project. One story idea that came close to being produced in the late 1990s was Who Discovered Roger Rabbit, which would have been in the 1950s style of filmmaking. Uh, over the years, Zemeckis repeatedly stated that he had a script that was more a continuation than a sequel, but the rights resided with Disney, who were not interested in making it since there was no princess in it. And they were uncomfortable with the risque character of uh, Jessica Rabbit. A sequel, Who Framed Roger Rabbit 2, was finally announced in the late 2010s. Um, I don't know if that's ever going to materialize, actually. How do you do it without Richard Williams? Like, I mean, how, how do you do it without Bob Hoskins? Well, how do you do it without Bob? Well, you know what? Yeah, you, it's, it makes a very, you're, there are some very good animators who could do this. But like, it was his animation style. Like, it was his... Right, that gave it the yeah. the, uh, the uniqueness, um, or his his you know direction, his lead animatoriness, directionist. Right. Okay, this is quite a dark one. Okay. In one of the early versions of the script, Judge Doom was revealed to be the one who killed Bambi's mother. What? Oh my! That's fucked up. That is fucked up. Okay, too soon. All right, it's what? always going to be too soon. <laughs> Okay, so I want to move on to a new segment, which I like to call Crazy Casting with K's. <laughs> Crazy spelt with a K and a double E at the end, and casting just with a K. I'm an off-the-wall man. I just, I just want to watch the world burn. That's why I spelt it like that. Nice. Yeah. Um, rebel, you. I'm a rebel. I'm a rebel. <laughs> um, so basically, in this section, I'm going to talk about... I'm going to describe an actor who was originally cast in a role in this movie. We're only going to do two of these. Okay. Because um, I only had time to do two. Okay. Uh, and you have to guess who the actor is. All right. Okay. This actor, who had worked for, worked for both Spielberg before and for Zemeckis in a future film, was up for the role of Eddie. Another mm. hard-boiled detective character on his resume, but was deemed too expensive. Who am I? I have to guess who it is? Mm -hmm. Give it to me again. I mean, I'm going to pay more attention to all the details now. Go on. Okay. The actor who, this actor who had worked for both Spielberg before... Spielberg and Zemeckis. And Zemeckis in a future film, no, after future. Roger Rabbit. After Roger Rabbit, okay. Okay, which you haven't seen. Um, was up for the role of Eddie, another hard-boiled detective character on his resume, which means he's played a hard-boiled detective character I'm before. I'm never going to fucking get this. But he now. was deemed too expensive. I'm going to give you a clue now. Go on. This is probably going to make you get it. Go. He shares a role with Alec Baldwin, Chris Pine, and John Krasinski. He shares a role with Alec Baldwin, Chris Pine, and John, John Krasinski. Mm-hmm. All of these... Oh, oh. Um, hang on. Uh, some, uh, 
Jack Ryan, okay. Yeah, is there the, you go. It's Jack Ryan, okay. Uh-huh, yeah. So I have to figure out all the actors that did Jack Ryan. So there's, right? No, th- those are the actors that did Jack Ryan. And okay. the one that I haven't said is the one who this is. Harrison Ford? There you go. How, how different would this movie have been with Harrison oh, Ford playing man. Eddie Valiant? Because Eddie Valiant is a very non... Uh, his, wait, his, wait, 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 wait. Do I get a ding, ding, ding for getting it? You, you did get a ding, ding, I ding. Did, didn't I you hear did, it? No, sorry. All right, was, I'll, I'll do it again. Sorry. Hey. There you go. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so it's just interesting because he's uh, he's not your conventional type of uh, type of hero, Eddie no, Valiant, uh, as played by Bob Hoskins. But um, he's also not how you how you would imagine him to look. Like you know, Harrison Ford is you know very sort of square jaw. Right. Exactly. You know. So the other uh, the other hard boiled detective character is um, is Deckard in Blade Runner. Uh huh. Uh, worked for Spielberg. That's obvious. Yeah, Zemeckis. Zemeckis in What Lies Beneath. That's a Zemeckis movie. Oh yes, it is. I didn't know that. I now wouldn't have gotten now it from you have that. To watch now it. I have to watch it. Oh, do you want to do a podcast on that movie? You've never mentioned it before. Really? <laughs> so that's uh, so that's another thing that um, What Lies Beneath is very restrained and actually quite slow mm. in places it like it's a slow burn and it takes its time to build it up and you, you know if you watch that back to back with this you wouldn't know it's the same director mm. anyway um this british actor was up for the role of judge doom but his performance was deemed too frightening by producer steven spielberg this British actor. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm focusing now on the, the details. Okay. Let's go. His previous credits include... The, uh, now, I've, I've rephrased these to make them like sound a little bit obscure, but it's going to be fairly obvious when you get it. His previous credits include A Pillaging Monarch, A Crowing Thief, and A Psychotic Children Murdering Circus Performer. Tim Curry. There you go. <laughs> Pillaging Tim Monarch. Tim Curry as the, the judge. Yeah. Oh, man, could you imagine him with red eyes? That would have freaked me the fuck out. Now listen, okay, because Christopher Lloyd is shit scary in this movie. If Steven Spielberg thought that that Tim Curry was too scary, and think about the nightmare fuel that Spielberg has peddled all over the 80s and all over our childhood. My God, my God. So uh, Pillaging Monarch, Pirate King. Didn't get that. Right, Crowing Thief. Rooster from Annie. Got that one. And Psychotic Children Murdering Circus. So I got the rooster thing after. I didn't get pillaging. That's a good one. I like (laughs) this. You should do this more. I'm I'm going to. Okay. Um, Okay. So, okay. Here's another one. I'm going to make this up on the the spot. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Another British actor up for the role of Judge Doom. Okay. Um, uh, Let me me think. He has played a a famous blood-sucking creature. Okay. Um, and I already got it from that, but go on, keep going. Okay. So who? Christopher Lee. There you go. I was going to, I was going to try and like come up with a, uh, with a, um, gilded weapon. Yeah. I I was wondering, like, are you, are you trying to figure out another way of saying golden gun? (laughs) Right. (laughs) But that would have been interesting as well. Uh, Yeah. I mean, these are, Uh, I'm more interested in in Tim Tim Curry. But I'm like sad. I mean, pedigree for up for these roles, like yeah. this was obviously like a, like there must have been a lot of buzz. Yeah. Um, well, you know that they did the uh, the animation test, and then that yeah. must have gotten the studio going. Oh, okay, we got to throw shit at right, this. Right, right, right. Um, on the special edition DVD, Zemeckis recounts that he stated in a newspaper interview that this American actor 
um, was his and executive producer Steven Spielberg's original choice for the role for the role of Eddie Valiant, mm-hmm. but neither could get in contact with him at the time. Okay, he's a Saturday Night Live alum from the eighties. <laughs> okay, um, he is uh, he's been in uh, Ethereal Pest Control. Ghostbusters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, who who is it that nobody can get a hold of ever? Oh, uh, Bill Murray. Bill Murray really? in the role of Valiant. No, doesn't. Okay. No. Uh, Dan Aykroyd was also considered for the role of Valiant. Okay. Just read these off because it's just going to take ages. There's lots of them. Rowan Atkinson was considered for the role of Eddie Valiant. Was he? Arnold Schwarzenegger was considered for the role of Judge Doom. Yeah. Now, I have to wonder, these start to get a bit ridiculous, and I'm wondering how true they must be. Okay. Um, John Voigt considered for the role of Judge Doom. Um, okay, and now there's a huge list here of a bunch of people considered for the role of Eddie Valiant. Robert De Niro, John Travolta, Sylvester Stallone, Eddie Murphy. Did they just contact everybody? everybody? Kurt Russell, Michael Bean, Dudley Moore. Dudley Moore? <laughs> Tom Hanks, Danny DeVito, Chevy Chase. Ed You're just Harris, reading off actors' names. Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Gene Hackman. Joe Pesci. None of these people are in this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people. Wow. Uh, final bit of trivia before I hang up my, uh, my trivia hat. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this may be common knowledge, uh, but I thought I'd mention it anyway. Mm-hmm. Amy Irving, Steven Spielberg's ex-wife, was yeah. the singing voice of uh, Jessica Rabbit. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, and the speaking voice of Jessica Rabbit is, of course, Kathleen Turner. <laughs> Mr. Valiant, can't you see yes, how she, much I need you? She sounds like that now. She didn't right. sound like that then. <laughs> okay, and that's Trivia Corner. No, wait a minute. We've oh. still got some stuff. Stuff? Yeah. What stuff? So, I have some... You've got your own trivia corner? I don't have my own trivia corner. I have trivia corner supplements. Do you, do you want me to add it into VFX Attic? You, you mean you have uh, a corner of trivia corner? Uh, do you want me to make up my own new space for size tidbits? Okay. <laughs> and so, I, I will just... Uh, I will close up trivia oh, yeah, corner yeah, sorry, and, and now we'll move on to... Uh, so, that's trivia corner. Trivia corner. Trivia corner. And now you said you have uh, a thing. Yes, uh, bits of tid, size tid bits. <laughs> well done. Okay. Um. Right. So you said to me during the movie that you know we 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 get like the, those little tiny little connections of what you know who Judge Doom is or or or, or the the connections between. Him and this scheme and and Teddy's yeah. brother. What did you say about the ca- the kabloons or something? The Somalians, 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 Somalians. Somalians? What, is, what is that? Hold on, I'm just going to Google that. No, it's um, a made up currency from Toontown. Uh, it's a made up currency, or maybe it's not. No, I have no pa. idea. I have no idea. Maybe, a Forks Pass. A Forks Pass. Uh, Grand Prix. Um, so uh, Michael Schumacher coming up the rear. Um, so <laughs> random um, words. So basically. <laughs> Yeah, so there's a there's a mention at the beginning the detective that uh, that brings Eddie Valiant to uh, to the Acme factory after the murder of uh, Marvin Acme. So he mentions that um, that uh, Judge Doom um, spread a bunch of Somalians around Toontown and bought the election. Yeah. That's how he was elected, which is kind of dark as well because they they elected the official that's going to wipe them out. Yeah. It's as if Hitler was planning to wipe out the really German Really interesting that you say that, Jonathan. 
Okay. I'm gonna I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna blow some stuff off your mind. Uno momento. Go on. Because the connection that I made was that uh, when Eddie tells the story about the tune that killed his brother, he talks about the fact that um, that they were going into the first bank of Toontown yeah. and a tune was stealing uh, zillion Somalians or Somalians. Yeah, Somalians, yeah. Um, so I made the connection that like, ah, okay, well, uh, you know, they're, they're dropping little hints there. And if you're eagle-eyed and eagle-eared, you're going to get it. But um, I don't know. I, I never really noticed that until today. So some fun tidbits for you, okay? Yes. Um, so Judge Doom never blinks throughout the movie. You yeah. will not see a single shot where he blinks his eyes. Yeah. Right? I read about that, yeah. Um, his chin and his nose extensions, we mentioned. His glasses flash white constantly, uh, yeah. which is kind of very... Cartoony. Cartoony. Um, and his cloak is always blowing, even when there's no source of wind... Yes. ...in order to make him seem otherworldly. Yeah, I noticed now, that this time around, yeah. In my um, sort of homework prep, for this podcast, I went very deep and I actually found his true identity. Oh. And I have... Because I said to you, I said to you, isn't it weird that we never actually see him unmasked? You said it to me while we were watching it. While we were watching the movie. Yeah, yeah. and that's why I said to you, like, does that bother you? Like, because if you would have said to me, if you would have said to me, I like not knowing, I wouldn't tell you this now. I I like that we do this for each other. It's like little gifts. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some stuff. So, so hit... Do you want my stuff? Don't, don't be weird. Okay. Um, so, um, I, Hello, I went I went searching. There's a lot of um, supplementary material. You mentioned the novelization of the movie uh, or the book or whatever. It, oh, no. You mentioned a book that came before that this is based off of. And then we had a book that had a, an, a tape. Yeah, we had something based off the thing. book on tape and a hardback book. But right. neither of those were as in-depth as a novelization would right. be. I think there is a novelization, though, somewhere. There There's be. also a sequel spin-off comic book which is as far as i have been able to uncover i think so as far as i've been able to uncover it is canon i'm getting it and um i would like to reveal the true name of uh judge doom to you his name is baron von rotten and um i'd like to show you a picture of him i maybe we can put it up on on facebook so people who are interested can see it but this is what he looks like. This is his true form. Huh. And, and it's, so, very, it's actually quite close to how he looks. How he looks, right? So he actually... And why did I say um, that it was interesting that you mentioned Hitler? So if you just give me a second, I'm, I just want to bring up the, the wiki here. Um, you can find this. It's, it's called Scrooge McDuck Wikia. Um, but... Dating back to 1921 and the silent cartoon era, the tune known as Baron Von Rotten became famous by perfecting disguises and tune-based shape-shifting to portray hundreds of very different screen villains, earning him the nickname of the tune with a thousand faces. Hmm. The extremely successful Baron became a millionaire and made good with his name by building himself a castle for a villa. Portraying Adolf Hitler caricatures in wartime propaganda cartoons, the Baron was caught in an an explosion while filming a film called Mother Goose Step. After a weeks-long convalescence, Baron von Rotten, whose eyes now inexplicably glowed red, had gone murderously insane, but retaining enough calculating intelligence to temporarily keep this a secret. 
Von Rotten's madness soon found something to latch onto sometime in 1946 or 1947. He heard of plans for the building of freeways which Toontown blocked the way for. The then brand new idea of freeways seemed inexplicably fascinating to the deranged Toon, who hatched a crazy scheme to destroy Toontown, killing all its inhabitants in the process. Uh, this involved uh, creating himself a non-Toon alias, Judge Doom, developing a way to destroy Toons, The Dip, and murdering human detective Teddy Valiant to cover his tracks, which I think is really, really cool that you just mentioned that, you know, he was getting the money to become the, you know, right. thing of Toontown. Um, and uh, in... I'm trying to figure out what the name of this comic book is called... Um, but it seems to be called the uh, Resurrection of Judge Doom, or the Resurrection of Doom. Not sure. Um, Very interesting. But there's more, which is really interesting, because if I if I sort of bring up um, all of his aliases, he has a moustache-twirling anthropomorphic rat villain, um, the Phantom of the Opera, the evil sawmill operator, and these are all things that you can see in the comic. The Abominable Snowman, an Adolf Hitler caricature, a potion-brewing Wicked Witch, um, and uh, a Red-Eyed Shadow Man, the form he took to rob the Toontown Bank and kill Teddy Valiant after he went mad. Hmm. And there is a picture in the comic book of him in that shadow form with his red eyes, um, which I will uh, show you. Unfortunately, not the, <laughs> not the people listening. Um well, but if anybody's interested, um, do write us on the group and, uh, and we'll post the pictures. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can't actually find it, but I did find it on Google, um, you know, the other day. Um, I just thought this was so cool because I've never seen anything about Judge Doom. Never, never thought in, about it before, in any really. of any of the media and anywhere really. Um, so yeah, that's really cool. Um, the shot that I'm talking about in the comic, just to describe it to, to people, is basically from a POV of, of Eddie. It's like over his shoulder. It's not POV. Mm -hmm. It's over the shoulder and he's looking up. There's a piano that's sort of like on the floor. So obviously it's just landed on his brother and you see this black shape, humanoid shape with the hair tuft mm -hmm. and the red eyes leaning over the banister. Oh. Um, and I think that that's just incredibly interesting. It's um, so dark yeah it's really really dark now now I, d I don't think that they could have really um put it in in all I think of it's the just a little bit too much, too much unless i mean look i mean you said to me that there's not a single frame wasted in this yeah. movie um i'm not sure um if that's because they had to animate so much within it uh, but even in the live action stuff it's it's very very tight it's uh, i think it's an hour and 40 minutes yeah um and uh it's it's the perfect length um, I agree. I think that they could have put in a flashback, but I, I think it's it's much more powerful seeing it through Eddie's eyes. You know, when he um, when he's going through those uh, the the extra photos that are developed with the Jessica and uh, yeah. and Acme photos, and you see him like the joy on his face when he sees that uh, that holiday that they all took together. Yeah. And then when he gets to the to Teddy's pictures, and you see that um, that that sorrow. Yeah. You know, and his lips starts trembling, and you know it's his enough. eyes start to fill up. It, it says it all. I think Zemeckis is uh, is is really really did a fantastic job of uh of of giving us just enough exposition yeah and i'd like to give you one more 
theory that's never proven but is speculated about. I couldn't find anything Ooh. confirming this. Uh-huh. But do Ooh. you remember when RK Maroon is shot in the back? Yes. And I said, pay attention to pay attention, pay attention to the pistol packing possum poster. Yes. Yeah. Um, that possum is holding a gun but has red eyes, and could be his true form. Oh. And the wow. the fact that the gun is reflected off the gun in the poster is so. If you look for pistol packing possum on uh, Google, you'll get like a, a clearer image. And some people are like fighting on the internet that his eyes are brown and they are red, in my opinion. And I think that's really cool. But I don't think it's his true form. I think it's one of his forms. I think the true form is what what I showed you just a minute ago. So that was it. That's um, that's the end of my tidbits. But I just it does. That, so they do know. look brown, um, but that's one of the, just one of the theories online. Uh, mm. Do with it what you will. But I just I love that there's like this extra stuff. So that is the yeah. end of the tidbits, size tidbits. Very nice. Yeah. And now a word from another one of our sponsors. My God, this podcast is popular. Are you surprised? Surprised? <laughs> We are supported by Tune Screams. Feeling dippy? Tired of having to grab your nearest tune and then look everywhere for a vat of dip? Feeling well rested from a good night's sleep because the awful shrieks of tunes aren't ringing in your ears? Look no further, friends. Just pick up a can of Tune Screams. Real Tune Screams kept in a can. Now that's what I call a candid advertisement. Buy one can of Tune Screams with a coupon code Holy Smokes, he's a tune, and get a free set of burning red eyes, guaranteed to bone a hole in your retinas and assure you. Never get bothered by pesky sleep again. 5 a.m. 5 a.m. looks good on you. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Okay. Um, I got one more. You got one more? We'll do it later. Okay. Um, Okay. Uh, Oh, one more thing that, um, that, uh, that connects... Uh, Zemeckis movies together of this time period. Yeah. Alan Silvestri. Uh, there's that scene where Eddie takes the uh, the red car at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And there's these beautiful strings um, that um, that sort of segue into those uh, gorgeous saxophones. Yeah. Um, and I said to you, oh, Alan Silvestri. Yeah. It's like fucking chocolate in my ears. <laughs> um, you did say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I just think that um, that the I I don't really have very much to say about this. I just think the man's a genius, um, and I'm probably going to gush all over a little bit more um, before this podcast is over. But I think he's I think he's brilliant. I yeah, think the music is really something. He, he is like up there. It's like chocolate in my ears. Um, Alan Silvestri, Jerry Goldsmith, James Horner, John Williams. They're just uh, you know, there's a there's a bunch of these uh, of these composers who I rate, John Barry as well, um, who I rate extremely highly, and I can listen to their music independent of the movie and just close my eyes and get transported. And it's it's just not something you see very often today um, in terms of original scores. So um, hats off. Completely agree with you. Yeah. There you go. Sorry, go on. Uh, oh, you wanted to take a trip to the attic, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Did you fix the staircase? Did you fix the handrail? Well, I mean, it keeps breaking. It's not my oh, fault. For the love of God. Like, listen, if we're going to keep going up there. The problem isn't the staircase and it's not the handrail. What it's, is it? It's the ghouls. It's the ghouls. Yeah, they keep okay. on greasing the... And what, know, what about the asbestos? That's been dealt with. It's, it's been dealt with now? Yeah, now okay, we've just got cancer in the walls. You've got cancer in the walls. Fantastic. <laughs>
<laughs> okay, so uh, so let's take a trip up to VFX Attic. Yeah, you're going to catch gonorrhea, watch your step. Okay. Join me in the VFX Attic. Where else can you see VFX in an attic other than VFX Attic? There you go. Very good. <laughs> Please. Johnny's requested that every time that I do this, the attic gets worse and worse. And I, don't, worse. I don't know how much further you can go with that. Oh, we'll find out. You kind of painted yourself into a corner. I really haven't. Have you never met me before? I really haven't. I will find a way. All right. Okay, so there's a lot of things to talk about here. I think it's but the you know bulk what? It's of the podcast. Really... This is going to end up being very long. So I, I'm going to try and keep it brief, right? Because I know that it can get a little bit heavy and people don't know what I'm talking about. So, um, what I wanted to say is that, um, I'm going to, I'm going to split this into two things because the whole movie is basically one long VFX shot. Right. Right. Um, and so I'm going to kind of split this between the animator, the animation and the, uh, the way that they have practically enhanced each shot to make the, the VFX work and some of the tech that goes behind it. So while we're in the attic and don't sit there, what do you, don't, what, don't sit there. I just told you there's cancer in the walls. Move away from the wall. Move, right, fine, move towards fine. me. Thank Why is you. there nowhere to sit? I'm sorry. Is, is, is it not good enough for you? I've provided you with drinks. There's drinks. There's, there's, look, the ghouls are smiling at you. Look, they're waving. They're waving. Look, look the shadow creatures terrifying <laughs> exactly anyway so oh, um Carl. the oh that's so there, one we need to do at some point by the way what ghost well yeah oh yeah okay so there are two names that i want to bring up okay. okay um the first name i've already brought up is richard williams who is you know the lead animator um and and the the, the, the basically the direction the director of the animation um and he was the one who basically said to you know robert zemeckis no, we don't need to lock down the camera because every single movie before then where they had an animated characters, you'll notice in Mary Poppins and Bedknobs and Broomsticks, um, they the camera shots with um, animated characters are all locked down. Right. Um, and, you know, Zemeckis was saying, you know, okay, so we're going to lock down all the shots. And, you know, Richard Williams was like, why? you can move the camera we're going to draw them in perspective it's harder it's more expensive but that's our job we can do that right right and they did a an animation test where they sort of showed off you know the the ability to do it and they were oh wow this is incredible and you can find it on youtube um it's still there um but the other person you can also see it in the uh, behind the scenes documentary behind the ears yeah you should, if you're interested in the movie and feel that we haven't got into it enough, you can definitely watch that. The other person I wanted to mention is Ed Jones, um, who works for who worked for ILM and uh, operated their optical photography um, printers, and he was the supervisor. Um, optical photography um, is basically what we know now as compositing, right? Where we take um, you know all of the different layers of our visual effect and we compile them composite them one on top of the other until we get our final frame and how many Um, passes do they have to do on these effect shots so so it was a little bit of a different process they would take the different layer they would take the original plate of film that was filmed and then they'd have the animation plates and there was shading plates and i will tell you exactly what the different plates were uh but there's 30 uh the picture of the shot that i have here i'm just going to show you the picture of it um is a shot of uh eddie when he's got um roger rabbit in in the water of, of his sink 
Um, and the different shots that he's doing, he's doing a, a background pass, um, Roger's front pass. Um, he's got, there's something called a backlight, you know, which is his rim light behind him. Um, you know, there's all these different mats with, which, which are basically masks. Right. So when Eddie is interacting with him or his hand goes in front of him, they needed to erase you know, uh, bits of it so that it would sort of go around his hand and, and you'd see his hand and not just see the animation. Um, there's different shadow passes, uh, different lighting passes, um, and then there's a final composite, which is the final output. Right. Now, today, we would just do this digitally, and it would be really, not not easy, but it would be a lot easier. Imagine if you screwed up one of these shots, you're done, right? Like, right. you know, you've screwed up the film. So they, they had, um, I think, what, something like, 10 th- no a thousand shots wait yeah yeah like a thousand shots that they had to do um and uh i just wanted to bring that up because i think you know we could definitely get stuck in on the animation and stuff but th- there was beyond just the animation there was taking those animation frames and compositing on top of the movie and the fact that 95 percent of those shots don't jank right is right. really really impressive um, so a little bit about, uh, Richard Williams that I just wanted to give a little bit of background. My background with Richard Williams is that I own his book, the animators toolkit or the animators survival kit. My, my bad. Right. Um, I own it. I know what it's called. Um, <laughs> and he, he's, um, he basically started doing these master classes, and I'll get into why he took that on. Um, but, you know, he, he made a book out of it, which is extremely helpful and useful. And it goes into all of the concepts of animation and, and his time working with um, Art Babbitt um, in uh, in Disney. Or, no, not at Disney. He came to work for him um, on The Thief and the Cobbler. Right. Um, <laughs> just the like Thief and the Cobbler of... is a story in and of itself. Yeah, so that, I'm going to go into that a little bit. But um, basically, I have this book, and every single time that I do a 3D animation shot, I'm reading bits from that book. And wow. it's it's uh, it's like a Bible. It's it's amazing. There are lots of books that you can read on this subject, but he's such a uh, a hero. <laughs> you know, it's like it's amazing. So he was he was a renowned perfectionist. Um, you know, he had unmatched abilities with perspective at the time, uh, that allowed him to pioneer the different, uh, animation shots for this movie. Um, and he had, a, a ridiculously high sort of like attention to detail, which was, you know, just incredible. Um, and, uh, you know, he didn't cut corners. He didn't, you know, do what a lot of other animators did, which is, um, you know, like animating, animating on threes and fours and fives, which is, you know, um, having more space between the frames. You know, he would actually draw 12 frames per second, uh, which is, um, and sometimes on ones, which is 25. And basically what that means is, um, you know, when you say on twos, it's like frame and then a space and then frame and then a space. So basically you're only drawing to 12 frames. Which is what... I think, which is what gives it that richness of movement. Yeah. So, so he, 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 do, he never used to skimp on the animation. He was always like, you know, do the work. Right. right. Um, but it was also tragically, uh, kind of his downfall, um, in, in this whole story of the thief and the cobbler, because you want to explain what that is. So it's, the... it's a, it's his magnum opus. It's a right. movie that is, if you've ever seen any footage of it, it's, beautifully made gorgeous animation um 
so sorry, I'm getting like emotional about it. What's wrong with me? Um, and it's he's, you know, he 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 had to use a lot of different um, freelance jobs. Like he he was bootstrapping it um, mm. from uh, you know like different jobs. Like he did the opening animation sequences in uh, the Pink Panther Returns yeah. um, and lots of different commercials. You can find them on. Um, uh, the Thief Archive, which is a YouTube channel. You can find all of these animations if you're interested. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he opened up his own studio. Um, and when did he start The Thief and the Cobbler? I've got it written down here somewhere. 1968, right? Mm. Think about that. Wow. He started the project in 1968, and he was self-funding that thing until he did Roger Rabbit, where he had funding, and also Warner Brothers were interested in him, and they were like, yeah, you, and they funded him. And... 24 years he's making That's this movie and he had to stop because he he couldn't do it he it was he was too much of a perfectionist perfectionist and he was trying to do all these things that weren't really necessary now the movie came out um it was called Arabian Night uh with a K night um and it's obviously been changed and some shots, you know, were, were altered and, and, you know, supplemented. It's, 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 it's a bit of a shame. Um, and so there's, it's a very sad story that he had to pack up his studio and he had to move back to Canada with his wife and kids. Um, and, uh, you know, he had to kind of, you know, he, he sort of says in one of his quotes, if the clients won't give us the time, you have to drop the quality of your work. You just drop it and you drop it again. But he never did. He never dropped it. He never tried to drop the quality because he couldn't. He was too close to it. So, yeah, I just I just wanted to talk a little bit about that and his whole story. And uh, But the, the upside of the fact that he had to close his studio, he started teaching animation in these classes, which then became the basis of the... Uh, animators survival kit uh, which has helped animators across the world and it's really quite incredible and and there's uh there are videos on youtube of him talking about you know it, there are even it's like things that appear in the book that he you know has in his his little speeches on youtube which which are just incredible i really recommend it some of the really cool things that they did in the movie to kind of sell um, you know, what's going on is a great example is the piano scene in the Ink and Paint Club where the piano lid is moving up and down. You've got the stools jiggling about. And I don't think there's a single shot where a tune is interacting with the environment where they don't have a chair moving, ricketing about, you know, moving uh, objects around. The, the weasels, instead of carrying cartoon guns like they could be, are carrying real world cartoon props that were on wires and that were being manipulated by uh, puppeteers off off camera right. and uh, and you know it's to create that sense of real world danger um, and also interaction with the real world which they tried to get in as much as they could they had papers flying about when the rabbit you know jumps across the room um, and having you know all these different interactions it's a great combination of all the different elements to create something very cohesive um, and uh, yeah I really like it I'm done and also the uh, the robotic uh, arms and and things like that they had to uh, for the plate scene with the, uh, breaking the plates. the plates and having him uh, in the sink and having him in the sink and there was a there was like a, a hose underneath the water that yeah um, that would spit out the water yeah they also had uh, in the scene where he where Eddie goes into uh, 
the the sort of diner the bar right with um you know roger underneath his coat he had some kind of rig that had like animatronic things prodding outwards and inwards and apparently it was really hurting him and he came home really black and blue from it Uh, he must have had so many injuries from this movie just like throwing himself about being thrown about on wires getting electrocuted in inverted commas right um and i think it's it's a great and just on the note of vfx it is a great rule of thumb for any VFX artist. If you are trying to make a VFX shot, you have to find the way to root it into the scene. When they have um, any kind of uh, magic effects happening in a Harry Potter movie, you will notice that the gust of wind that occurs from it is also ruffling the character's hair or, or their clothes. You know, there's always like some kind of whoosh. Those things anchor it into the scene. If you're going to have a character take off into the sky like Superman, have some kind of uh, leaf blower off off camera that's just going to blow, you know, debris aside, you know, make it more realistic. Have leaves strewn about to have them fly away. Um, and I think that this movie is a great example of, you know, very pedantic animation, <laughs> like really like every single moment considered. Like even to things like... Um, you know, her dress uh, in the, um, Jessica Rabbit's uh, dress in the, in the song, um, light is transmitting through the dress. Forget the different layers that they needed for the optical, um, photography there, you know, the different layers of the sparkling and whatever, but they also had light transmitting through the dress. So you had to be able to see the plate underneath it. And, you know, it's not easy to lower the opacity of those things in those days. Like you can just do that in a compositor and it's like, nah, see through. How did they do that? Like, it's just wizardry. Um, so I I was really excited to watch this movie. And also talking about Richard Williams seems to bring up a lot of emotions for me and right. excitement. Sorry about that. No, um, why, why, why should you apologize? I don't know. I just think it's like, I didn't Something know Something you're passionate him. about. Yeah, maybe. no. It's, but like, I just, the, the problem for me is that on, on a personal note, I have a lot of projects in my head that I wanted to do or that I want to do that I don't do because I don't have time because I'm working because I don't have money. And, you know, I'm bootstrapping a video game right now. Um, and that's, you know, we've got a publisher for that and that's going to see the light of day, but hopefully, but you know, um, I, I, I can't imagine what it is to work for 24 years on something that you are so passionate about. And you watch him in interviews um, and he, he shows like he flips through the, the pages of the animation that he did. And he's describing Vincent Price's performance as the evil vizier. Right. Um, And he's, you know, and, 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 and it's like, you know, he's so passionate about it. And this is before it all collapsed. And it just made me so sad to watch yeah. that, you know, like me sort of going, oh, Richard <laughs> from the past. I'm so sorry, like that this is going to happen to you. So anyway, I just, yeah. Okay. Well, I brought everything down. So <laughs> how about we sort of leave the attic then? Yeah. <laughs> or the okay. garage? Well, I mean, I'd, I'd love to because it's, it's getting kind of drafty in here. They're also the... closing in over there. The, yeah. The thing, so... We need to leave now. Yeah, now let's now. go to okay. go, 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 go. Okay. VFX attic. Um, do we have to go up there every time we, uh, we talk about VFX? Well, I mean, we could go down to the animation garage next is that, time. Is if that it's a little animation. bit less scary? No, it's just a garage. Oh. Empty, uh, empty, really. Nothing mm. in there. But but uh, in the attic, we do have those 
Lovely drinks. Drinks? Yeah. Well, I didn't get a drink. No? That's no. been drunk by the ghouls. Anyway. All right, then. Um, would you like to um, give us your closing thoughts on who framed Roger Rabbit? I would love to, but first I think we have to pay dividends to our third and final sponsor. Wow, we got a lot of sponsors this week. Today's episode is sponsored by Pre-Masticators. Our customers suffer from a range of ailments ranging from itchy teeth, sore spoon to mouth elbows, and of course, chewing fatigue. Welcome to Pre-Masticators, the one product on the market that gives you food chewed by somebody else. Time, shut up. Can you not keep it together for a minute? Time and energy saved. Now that's what I call a time saver. That is spelled T H Y M E. <laughs> Premasticators takes no responsibility for hair loss, toenail loss, face loss, or buttock loss after consuming a drop of product. Do not go and see your GP or right reserved. <laughs> wow, 5 a.m. Oh no, that one I did last night before I went to bed. <laughs> Oh, I'm loving these new segments we got going on. Um, I'd actually like to also give an award to a couple of, uh, 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 well, uh, side characters. Oh, go ahead. The first award goes to the guy who says, paint from the rabbit's glove. That guy. (laughs) Okay. Perfectly delivered. And uh, the other guy uh, who gets an award in this movie is the guy who goes, you ever seen one of these? (laughs) Very good. That's it. Closing thoughts. I love the movie. I love the animation. I love the animator. And I love really? everything about it. Off Do you go. You? <laughs> I just wanted to say, um, in relation to, to what we were talking about before, um, this is uh, is a very adult movie that I would not show to my kids. Oh, yeah. And if you think about this, yeah. like, our parents took me to see this movie in 88. I must have been about six it's it's definitely one of those movies that um you know you can put it in the pile of scared the shit out of me when i was a kid yeah didn't damage me at all but um you know it was uh it was like a pg movie that leaned heavily on the pg yeah um and um once again mr steven spielberg is the fucking culprit (laughs) he's always involved jaws (laughs) Indelible image of man spitting up blood while being eaten by massive shock. Go okay. on, name the next one. Okay, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Dude ripping heart out of other dude's chest, lit from underneath. <laughs> Obviously, that, that low lighting is, uh, was frightening to me. Um, you know, Man the Raiders of the Lost Ark, melting faces. You know, I mean, the, the, the dude is like, uh, he's given this, like, this unwarranted reputation for sugar sweet saccharine sentimentality but the guy scared the shit out of me when i was a kid yeah um so um thank you mr spielberg i love you um also mr zemeckis um i mean look watching this today um i've seen this movie many many times but i never fail to appreciate just how well done it is yeah um and you know you think about um zemeckis's uh, filmography you know, Romancing the Stone, Back to the Future. Back to the Future 2 and 3 also are excellent movies, I might add. Uh, Death Becomes Her, What Lies Beneath, Cast Away, Forrest Gump, you know, Contact. 
the guy made some amazing, amazing movies. Yeah. And um and this is like up there with one of his best. So my yeah. exception. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Very cool stuff. Um if you haven't seen the movie in a while Watch it again. Watch it again. For sure. Yeah. And if you haven't ever seen the movie, like my wife, for example, what what are you doing? Watch it now. Go go watch it. Drop everything. I don't care that you're at work. Watch it on your phone. No, no, that's too far. That's too far. Don't watch it on your phone. Watch it on the big screen um, that we have in our living room. Just don't watch our Blu-ray because it's fucked. <sighs> I'd like to um, just add one more note uh, to all the very downer stuff that I was saying about Richard Williams. If you think about this movie and the achievements that he made in this movie, like the the progress that he made... Um, this is this is something that you could choose to see as his magnum opus. Like, even though all the footage that you see for The Thief and the Cobbler is out there, so it's still there, um, there is a lot of joy to be found in the work that he has completed. Right. Um, I just wanted to add that on to the end. And I, I love watching this movie because it is a complete work of his. He, he said in, in 2013, he says, it's the doing of it that matters. Do it for the love of it. That's all there is. Well, that's, uh, that's sound advice. I like that. I like that as a way I to like finish that very this much. episode. And there's two people that, um, that have basically gone into doing the thing that they love. Yeah. Uh, it may not be always exactly in the, uh, in the exact pinpointed uh, area that we want to be. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I'm making money off it. And that's, that's more than I could ask for. Yeah. 100%. I enjoy making games in any form that they appear. And if I ever do VFX again, which I haven't done for a very long time, I'd welcome that as much as anything else. So very, really great. Do you have any idea what we should watch next? Please let us know on the Facebook group or on the Twitter. I don't think we're doing anything with the Twitter. We tweet. We tweet. Anyway, um, I really enjoyed that. Thank you for the conversation. Well, thank you very much. And I will see you next week. Indeed. And, Probably before. And you, dear listeners, we will see you next week. Thank you very much for tuning in to What's Our Seat Number. Thanks so much for listening to us. Goodbye. Goodbye. What's our seat number? Sponsored by Icky Sticky Stuff.